0: Good evening, how are we doing tonight? Good. All right, four of you are doing well, everybody else is stressed out. You guys doing okay? All right. Um, here's what I want you to do to start out tonight. Uh, first of all, my name is Ben and I am one of the, uh, the campus pastors with Campus Ministry for those of you who may not know who I am. Uh, anyway, what I want you to do is I want you to turn to a partner or three if you need it and... Tell briefly of a time when you were in need. Okay? When you really needed something or someone. Okay? Not a Christmas wish list thing, but something, sometime when you needed something. Marcus, go. You got like two minutes. All right, I invite you to come back this way. Uh, when, I was, when I was in college, I went to Michigan State, by the way. Uh, go green, sorry about the loss yesterday, but what are you going to do? Uh, I went to Michigan State, and I was, a, I was a Young Life volunteer leader when I was at Michigan State, which maybe that's a surprise to you, but maybe not. Uh, anyway, so me and my friend Mike and Courtney and Adelia, the four of us were like, became best friends as we served on a Young Life team together. So we became really good friends. Uh, I graduated. I had this job working at a youth delinquent home just south of Lansing. Um, and I was, I was working a late night shift. And Courtney and Adelia and I decided, let's go drive down to our friend Mike, who's in Missouri for the summer, and surprise him for the weekend. We were like, all right, that sounds awesome. So I worked and I worked the second shift until like 11 o'clock or so. They picked me up right from work and we started driving down to Missouri through the night. It was a Saturday night uh, and my friend Mike was actually working as an intern at a local church and he was preaching his first sermon the next morning. So we wanted to like go cheer him on for that. So hop in the car, I start driving, I only can go like a few hours before I'm like toast because I had worked all day, Whatever. So I decide to crash in the back seat, and my friend Courtney takes over driving. I'm laying down, sleeping for a couple hours. And I wake up, and I ask the question, hey, how's it going? And they're like, we're doing fine. (laughs) So I inquired a little bit. They said, well, the, the gas light came on. I said, okay. Well, that's not that big a deal because, you know, you got time to get to the next gas station as soon as the gas light comes on they said yeah we have no idea how long it's been on (sighs) okay we have a problem (laughs) so literally like we get on the next highway i mean there was no like there's no exit signs we make the little curve and done okay so it's three in the morning Uh, Me and two college-age girls. It's northern Illinois, and there is nothing in sight. Nothing. So we're like, what do we do? Well, let's just start walking, I guess. Uh, This is a moment when we felt a need, okay? (laughs) So it's three o'clock in the morning. It's pitch black. There's nobody out there. There's no exit. There's no, like, exit in two miles. There's no sign of any of that. And we just were like, we just got to walk one direction. So we just started walking and walking and walking. And, um, and eventually a truck stopped and asked what was going on. It was funny because my friend Adelio is like this tall. And so he literally thought it was a, a husband and a wife and their small child. <laughs> and so he felt compassion for this small child who was actually a college student. Uh, And that's why he stopped, and he picked us up, brought us to the next gas station, came back, filled up our tank, and we were on our way. Um, That was a moment when I felt this need for someone or something to help save us from this desolate situation, okay? So here at the well, I want to do a real quick recap of where we've been journeying together so far this semester. We started the semester... Uh, we've been diving into Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. We started this semester with asking the question, who do you say Jesus is? And then the second week, we talked about discipleship. What was it like in the first century during the time of Jesus to be a disciple, to be following Jesus, and the kind of intensity and the kind of passion and the commitment that they had to do so? And then in that, we asked the question, do we want to be following this guy, Jesus? Do we want to follow him the way they followed him? So then we've taken the next several weeks to try to look a little bit closer at who is this guy? Who is this guy, Jesus? Who is he? What has he done? And as we try to take a little bit closer look at who he is, maybe we can make a better informed decision of whether or not or how closely we may or may not want to follow him. So we talked a little bit about all the Old Testament prophecies that he eventually fulfills and what are the chances of that. And we talked about how he was this great teacher and we had a team of people come up here and recite the Sermon on the Mount, one of his most uh, well-known teachings. We talked about how he brings peace to the chaos and last week we talked about how he is strong enough and powerful enough able to, to heal people. Tonight, we're going to talk about what I think is probably what Jesus is most well-known for. Any guesses? No guesses? We're going to talk about the crucifixion tonight, <laughs> um, which is no light topic. So we're just, going to, we're just going to dive into it, all right? We're going to talk about Jesus' crucifixion, uh, Matthew chapter 27, Matthew chapter 27. We're going to start at verse 15. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas. And to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, Let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is a familiar yet powerful story. I feel like, for me, I've heard this story so many times that sometimes it loses its power or its significance. Jesus takes Barabbas' place, and he's crucified for you and for me. It's a familiar story, isn't it? What I want to do tonight, I want to I push the pause button just long enough and take a little bit look back. What are the things that led to this story? What is the overall story that's going on? How does this story fit into the the grand story that's going on? What took place to lead Jesus to this point? So we're going to unpack that a little bit tonight, and then we'll um, kind of go on from there. In the beginning of this book here, in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth and it was good. And then he creates man and woman and he says it's very good. And then Adam and Eve had this good idea to eat this piece of fruit, which is probably not an apple, but it's a piece of fruit, uh, which they were not supposed to be eating. And sin enters the world, right? And somehow we have been dealing with the effects of this thing called sin it has infected all of humanity in all of history ever since that point point. and so somehow we have this this need that things are not as they should be and so what can we do to fix this right um, this has been infecting all of humanity romans 3 says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god all of us, all of us have sinned. You have sinned, I have sinned, your roommate has sinned, your neighbor has sinned, your parents have probably sinned. Um, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I'm going to need your, your help with a little bit of an illustration, okay? So when you came in tonight, you received a piece of paper and a pen. If you are willing, we would love your participation in this, okay? Okay? I want you to take a couple of minutes. I want to talk about sin for a minute, for a couple of minutes with you guys, but I want your help, okay? So I want you to take a couple of minutes and I want you to write some things down. What is, what is sin? How would you describe what sin is? What is it? How does it affect you? What are, what are some examples of sin? okay. And you can give biblical examples, you can give examples of the sin of your own life, you can give examples of the sin of your roommate, or you can, okay, so what is, what is sin, how does it affect you, and what are some examples of sins in your life, or in this world, or in the news, something like that. Just start making a list of some things, that would be really helpful. You don't have to be looking at your neighbor's paper, okay, you don't have to be trying to figure out if that's really theirs or their friend's. Just concentrate on your own piece of paper right now. nobody's going to see these. We're just going to do this as part of an illustration. So in a moment, you're going to be able to crumple it up and fold it as many pieces as you want to, and nobody's going to see any of this stuff. So um, anyway, there you go. And you don't have to write like 40 things, just one or two or three. What is sin? How does it affect you? What are some examples fifteen more seconds alright now here's what we're gonna do if you're on the outside ends I want you to just or wherever you are just take your piece of paper and just crumple it up into a little ball okay there you go and pass it towards the center aisle and we're gonna dump it in this bag here, okay? So pass it over to the center, pass it over to the center. I'll start in the back. Pass it over to the center. Here we go, here we go. All right. Oh, it's close. Good here. All right. That's beautiful. You guys are doing a good job. Here we go. There we go. You're welcome. Thank you. Here you go. Here you go, dude. Right here. You missed. No, I can't tell you. Okay. There it is. Well done. Now I need two volunteers. Come on up. All right, one, two. There you go. Come on up. Come on up. (laughs) Thank you for volunteering. This is awesome. All right. So come on over here. Come on over here. Um, do one of you want to not volunteer anymore? Do you want to unvolunteer yourself? You're good. Okay. All right. So, which one of you would like to be God in this thing? Okay. All right. <laughs> there you go. All right. Then I'm gonna have you trade spots here. Okay. Okay. So, uh, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, right? And it's good. And then God creates man, and it's good. And man is created to be, this is going to be awkward, I'm sorry. <laughs> man is created to be in a relationship with God. Okay? Um, anyway, so, so there's this thing that's happening, there's this relationship that's happening here, okay? But then man sins, okay? Man sins, And it creates this separation in the relationship. Okay? So sin is having this effect on the relationship. God has created us to be like him, to reflect him, to be in a relationship with him. But there's this thing that's called sin, and it gets in the way. In Isaiah 59, you can put the text up there, Isaiah 59, it says that our iniquities, our sin, has separated us from God, okay? So this, this thing, this stuff that we just wrote down, we, ha- we all have this stuff, and it's infected us, and it's affected this relationship with the God, the creator of the universe who wants to be in a relationship with us. Sin enters, relationship gets separated a little bit here, um, and suddenly humanity is in this desperate situation to try to figure out how do I get back in this relationship with the creator God himself. Okay? So this is, this is kind of the story of, uh, of the Bible. And so God graciously, generously set up a system, a sacrificial system, to help repair this, okay? So, um, do we have the slides working or do we not have the slides working? You don't have the slides working. Okay, so that's okay. Leviticus 4 verse 3 says this, 4, 1 through 3. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done, and does any one of them then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. Leviticus 17 says this, for the life of a creature is in the blood and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So God offers the solution to man's sin problem, this thing that's in the Old Testament, it's this animal sacrificial system. God tells people, God tells his people to take an animal. Hey, hey, you're supposed to be in this relationship. You've sinned, so now you need to take an animal, okay? A nice little sheep or something. It's, this is, is Jaden's teddy bear, so it's cute. Uh, and you're supposed to take this animal, love on it a little bit, and then you're supposed to, like, cut its throat. There you go. All right, give it a good bop on the head. Okay? And then the blood flows down from the animal and covers the sin. Two things that I think are really cool the word atonement literally means to cover. And so when an animal is sacrificed, when the teddy bear has its you know, and the blood flows down, it covers it covers the sin. The other thing that's really cool is the word sacrifice, the Hebrew word for sacrifice is korban, which comes from the root word, which basically means to draw near, to, to come close. So the very essence of a sacrifice itself is to, okay, so atonement kind of covers this sin, and then the sacrifice is done so that the relationship can be restored. With the creator. I'm really sorry. (laughs) I got to think through this next time. I got to pre-select people apparently. Um, We were created to be in a relationship with God. Sin enters, it's broken, and there's this separation. Separation. God offers this beautiful thing called an animal and you can sacrifice the animal as a a way to pay for the penalty of your stuff and as the blood flows down from the throat of the animal it covers your stuff and you can be restored back to this relationship with the creator himself isn't that cool let's give these guys a hand A, a good hand Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Sacrificing animals bridged this separation from God. Okay. Now, uh, our good friend Joel Kramer, uh, good friend of Stacy and I's. He lives in Jerusalem. We were neighbors when Stacy and I lived there. We were in a Bible study together. He and he's got a small team of people that, that shoot some videos of life in Israel, archaeology in Israel, uh, and he has this really cool video, I think, that kind of deals with this animal sacrifice, sacrificial system. So uh, I want to show you just a, a couple clips tonight. The first one's a little bit longer than the second one. Um, he interviews a couple of scholars. One's a Hebrew scholar, another one's a Jewish rabbi, um, and I just also want to say that there's also a a small remnant of Samaritans who actually still live in the land today, and they still practice this idea of an animal sacrifice at Passover. Okay, so this big celebration in the land of Israel on Passover, and I will say Joel did capture some of that. And so if you have a little bit of a weak stomach, I just want to say there will be some blood and viewer discretion is advised. So without further ado...
1: so what animal sacrifice provides is it provides a way for God to punish sin, but not punish the sinner. So you had to kill an animal in order to meet that requirement and be forgiven for your sin.
0: The Old Testament itself talks about how animal sacrifices were required by the people when they sinned. So
1: what was the, the purpose of a lamb was to offer up a sacrifice for the sin of the people. We can see that thanks to the Samaritans who still sacrifice lambs at Passover.
0: I mean we I've been to the Samaritan Passover and the whole reason why they offer up sacrifices is because they believe that this was something which was inherent to Old Testament faith.
1: What about like, for example, Leviticus seventeen eleven, where it says that the that that is for atonement that the life of the animal is in the blood, yeah. and that it's yeah, that's for part atonement. of this. That's
0: part of this idea. It's my recognition that I've done something that damages the world. You know, I've I, this animal should this should be me. This should be me. It's it, it's seeing a life seeing a life taken even of an, of, a, of a living being. so over and over and over again for thousands of years this was the system that God had set up from the desert of Sinai through the temple in Jerusalem day after day people are cutting the throats of unblemished lambs and goats as a way to cover their sin. These sacrifices were the way, were a way for God's people to deal with their, their sin and their guilt. Which brings me to Jesus. What does this have to do with with Jesus. What does this have to do with the story that we read tonight? Hundreds of years before Jesus even comes on the scene, there's a prophecy about an ultimate sacrifice that is yet to come. Isaiah 53 says this, he, being Jesus, was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. These sacrifices throughout the Old Testament, this, this system, this culture, this day after day after day of, of, this was everyday stuff that they saw. But yet the Old Testament also talked about there will be another day where this, this kind of thing won't be the deal anymore. This kind of animal sacrificial system won't be in the deal anymore because there will be an ultimate sacrifice that is yet to come. Part of the specific uh, Passover instructions in Exodus chapter 12 says the lamb that is to be slain is to be unblemished. Do you think Jesus may have met that requirement? Unblemished. No sin. And what, do you guys know what holiday Jesus actually died on? Somebody said it. Passover. Passover. The very holiday that Jesus was crucified was the holiday that the Samaritans were celebrating. The blood flowed through the streets that day where people were trying to figure out how can I cover my sin. John the Baptist, the first time he set eyes on Jesus. Do you know what he said? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of of the world. Did you catch that? you catch the difference? What did you hear in that statement? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away. Okay, so the atonement thing over and over and over again. We have this thing called an, a lamb that's really cute and we lived with it for four days to feed it and care for it and have a relationship with it and then we'd have to cut its throat and the blood would flow and we could cover our sin in hopes that somehow some way someday man could be back in a relationship with a king himself and all of a sudden behold the lamb of God who takes away takes away the sin of the world. Come on! We're not just trying to cover it up anymore. It's been taken away. And this system that they had set in place was great because that's what God had to plan for, for them. But that doesn't work all the time because they had to do it again and again and again. Apparently it didn't cure the actual need. If it had cured the need, they wouldn't have to do it again. Guess what? It cured the need. Jesus died. He doesn't have to do it again. Why? Because behold, the Lamb of God has already taken away the sin of the world. Yes! That's what I'm talking about. This week, I have been praying, asking God to help me just more aware of the sin in my life so let me just let me see it more because sometimes I just feel like I just don't even really think about it I just live my life God help me see the sin a little bit more clearly this week and as I've been thinking about this teaching and I've been watching those videos I've been thinking about man what would it be like if that was my life what would it be like if I lived pre-Jesus what would it be like if every time I sinned, I had to take this beautiful, precious, unblemished lamb that my son loves because it had been hanging out with our house, in our house for four days, and I had to slit its throat because of something I, I did. I feel like somehow, some way, some, I feel like I would figure out a way to sin less often, Right? I would feel the consequence of that. Like, I'm invested a little bit more in this somehow. This hurts a little bit when I have to cut this guy's throat. But we don't have to do that anymore. God's grace covers us. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is finished. Yeah, it's finished. I want to show you guys one more uh, one more clip from my friend Joel's video, and then we'll uh, then we'll wrap it up.
1: truth is, is you watch one lamb die, and then when you're talking about the Samaritans, within about 30 seconds, 54 lambs die. And let me tell you something, that was a very, very slow day at the Jewish temple. It's sobering to think of the thousands and thousands, the millions of animals that were sacrificed for the sins of people. And the whole concept of this innocent animal being substituted then opened my eyes to the reality of how much God loves me. That he came here and became a man to be punished for my sin so that he can show me mercy and somehow I would be so proud that I would refuse that? That makes no sense. I am sinful to the core. I need his redemption, I need his blood, I need his sacrifice, and without it I'll be separated from him forever. Yet at the Samaritan sacrifice, in the midst of these horrible sacrifices, all these innocent animals dying, here they are raising their hands in the air and rejoicing and dancing before God, and that was hard for me. It was hard for me to understand that, but the reason that they did it is because they understood the purpose of sacrifice better than I did. And when we come to understand that, then from what Jesus has done for us, we should dance before God. We should rejoice. We should praise Him for what He's done for us because He loved us that much, that much that he took our punishment for us so that the sin could be punished but that we could go free. He not only died for us, but he also rose from the dead. And only through the sacrifice of Jesus
0: Samaritans were dancing because of the blood that was shed, because they understood the the reality of the sacrifice that somehow they are able to go free because this other lamb is being sacrificed in its place. And through the sacrifice of these lambs, they get to draw near or nearer to God. The Samaritans were dancing because they felt free. How much more do we have reason to sing? Do we have reason to celebrate? Do we have reason to actually open our mouths and tell people, hey, we're a Christian, here's why. worship team's going to invite you guys to stay sitting, okay? They're going to start playing a song. We want to invite you to just take a moment, let it sink in for a minute, reflect on the words that are going to be on the screen, and then in the moment they're going to they're going to invite you to stand and sing with them. Amen.